0: The title of the message today is Preferring Restoration Over Recovery. Preferring Restoration Over Recovery. Stand, if you would, as we read the scriptures in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Verse 6. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Lord, help us as we study your word and help us to live, look, and love more like Jesus today than we did yesterday in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Three things in this passage about which I want to speak. Prophetic need, prophetic effect, and parent-child relief. Here we've got a passage. Malachi happens to be the last prophet in the Old Testament. Um, before we get to to John the Baptist who is the first prophet in the New Testament we have nobody of of record uh, between Malachi and John and there's 400 400 years between the two. Now I don't think it's, it's that God was doing nothing or saying nothing I just think we don't have the record of it or it wasn't that consequential that it needed to be recorded for us. There are a lot of things God says today that do not fall in the lines of being tantamount with scripture so we don't continue we don't have acts 29 and acts 30 and acts 31 and acts 32 it stops at 28 though the things that god says today are really important so there were 400 years of a gap and if the lord knew there was going to be a 400 year gap he sure didn't want to say some things that would allow people to have some degree of hope during that period of time and here we have malachi putting a period to the end of his prophetic ministry by saying some things are going to happen, but some things are going to happen before things happen. And as a result of those things that are going to happen, before they happen, the Lord's going to do a marvelous things in the earth that he would not have done otherwise. Be ready for it. One of the things he <clears throat> says here, that something is going to happen before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Now, the great and terrible day of the Lord is a prophetic injunction. It's kind of a a moniker that describes an unusually bad time in the earth where God is going to judge those who do not love him and don't serve him. Those who do not identify with him, have not accepted all that we know to be true. And it's a bad day. It's mentioned in the book of Revelation. It's mentioned in the book of Joel, in the book of Zechariah, Zephaniah. The great and terrible day of the Lord is when God brings consequences and judgment upon those who have spurned him and don't love him. And that's, that's not fun to hear about. But Adam and Eve started it. They're the ones who disobeyed, and we have perpetuated their disobedience. We've amplified it, not only in our individual actions, but as an aggregate throughout all of humanity, we've made things worse. And that God needs to bring consequences and judgment to humanity's actions is right we don't like to say it we surely don't like to hear it but it's right because justice is that thing that comes from him without justice chaos reigns people are able to do whatever they like to do without impunity judgment is that which allows for people to know consequences will come from disobedience and so don't do that It keeps people in check. It helps us understand which way we should not go. And so judgment is painful, but it's a reality that all humanity must face because Adam and Eve introduced it to us and then genetically handed it down to us. We cannot get away from it. As much as nobody likes to talk about judgment and that we all deserve it, please understand that God has not let this great and terrible day of the Lord come yet somebody be happy he could have could he not he could have he he could just turn the spigot off all of his mercy anytime he wanted and be right to judge all of humanity he did it once in the day of Noah all of humanity gone and he started over the only reservation he said about that time was that he wouldn't judge the earth by a flood he didn't say he wouldn't judge. He just said, not by water. There's a great and terrible day of the Lord coming. The beauty is this, it hasn't come yet. What does that mean? Except that he is extraordinarily merciful. Are you listening to me? Humanity has deserved judgment for eons, eras. E R A S. Eras. eras. When God should have and could have, but didn't because he is so kind. It is almost impossible for us to be able to plumb the depths of his mercy and kindness. And so I beg you, even though this passage is difficult to understand and and, and to receive because it is coming. There is a great and terrible day of the Lord coming. We cannot get away from it. And it is a day when he's going to judge those, as I said earlier, who do not serve him. But it doesn't mean when he judges those who do not serve him and judges the earth that the saints won't experience some degree of consequence as a result of being in the same environment. It simply means that we won't get the same judgment. It's hard for things to happen in Chantilly without me feeling it. If a storm if a tornado hits over in Greenbrier, I'm gonna feel some little stuff in my my, my, my branches are gonna get knocked down. So there's no way the saints won't feel something, they just won't feel it all. And regardless of whether we feel a little bit or a lot, I weep for those who feel all. I don't want it to happen. And so, because it hasn't happened, that gives me hope that maybe I can reach the all before it does. Maybe. Maybe God would allow his mercy to extend to the place that it did for me. He gave me time yeah. whereby I could say yes, Lord, rather than no, Lord. Lord, please let your mercy extend so we can help our community come to know you. Please. There's no way we can stop the great and terrible day of the Lord, but we can do a lot before it comes. And this is what, what, the, uh, what Malachi the prophet is trying to convey. It's coming. But even in the midst of understanding God's mercy before it comes and that he is so kind and that he doesn't judge, he's still waiting and waiting and waiting because he doesn't want to see anyone perish, but all to come to the knowledge of the truth, it says in 2 Peter. He's waiting and waiting and waiting. He even says, I'm going to send some help for you so that it doesn't get really bad. I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah. Now, it doesn't mean he's going to reincarnate Elijah. Elijah. Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament. He didn't write a book, and we really don't know where he came from. He shows up in 1 Kings 17, and he prophesies to a king named Ahab. Now, for those of you who don't know what's going on in in, in 1 Kings 17, there are two kingdoms in Israel. There's a southern kingdom, and there's a northern kingdom. The first king of Israel, legitimate king, there was an illegitimate king called Abimelech in the book of Judges, who made himself king. He printed up business cards and said, I'm in charge. But legitimate kings who were anointed by prophets and ordained by God, the first one was Saul. The second one was David. The third one was David's son, Solomon. The fourth one was Solomon's son, Rehoboam. During Rehoboam's reign, he made some bad decisions, and the nation split. Ten tribes went to the north, called the kingdom of Israel. Two tribes stayed in the south, Judah and Levi. That was called Judah. And so now you had two separate nations that should be serving the Lord. And one of them did half time, the other one did no time. Judah half time had some good kings, bad kings. Northern kingdom never had a good king, did not serve Jesus at all. Northern kingdom had this new king called Rehoboam, who was really in opposition to, excuse me, Jeroboam, who was really in opposition to Rehoboam in the south. Jeroboam, because he didn't want his people, who were genetically obviously Hebrew, to go down to Jerusalem where the temple was to worship, because that was the only place God prescribed where worship could be. He didn't want them going down there because he thought, well, they'll align themselves with Judah, and I don't want to do that. He made his own idol in the north, a a golden calf. It was bad. Jeroboam was a horrible king. The next one that came after him was a more horrible king. That after him, more horrible. It got worse and worse until a guy named Ahab. And it says that Ahab was worse than everybody who had come before him. Really, really bad. If you can be bad, worse than Jeroboam and the three succeeding kings, you're really, really bad. So here we've got now a nation that should be serving God that's not. And all of a sudden, a prophet shows up and says this. By the way. It's not going to have, there's not going to be any dew or rain on the land except at my word. Bye. And he bounced. Nobody, nobody heard from him for the next three and a half years. They were looking for him. And they really didn't know who he was. It says he was a tishbite, but he, he didn't come with a pedigree. There was, no, there was no line of prophets that he could point to genetically that really aided him in his ministry. He just showed up out of no place. We have no idea who the people of Tish were or whether it was a, was a father, just his dad named Tish. We have no idea. He just shows up and says this. And so they're thinking, that, guy, that dude's crazy. He's, out about, he's dressed in camel hair. he got a leather belt. He's just a strange human being. And uh, after six months of no rain. No spring rains for the crops. No fall rains for the crops. they say, "Who is that guy? Ushua? Mamusha? What was it? Find Elijah. Yeah, Elijah. Go get him." And so they start looking for him. They can't find him. Three and a half years. The drought has turned into a famine. People are dying of starvation and thirst. There are no there are no herds anymore. They're gone. They've eat, The people have eaten all the herds, the lambs, the sheep, the goats, the cattle, everything. It is horrible. And they find Elijah, and they have a moment on Mount Carmel, and it's pretty epic. You'd do well to read 1 Kings 17 through 19. Really powerful. But the interesting thing about Elijah, other than the fact that he called an unusual famine down and drought down on the land, was that he had a heart... To the second generation. It's not really amplified in scripture, but it it is codified. You, you, you're not codified, it is given by way of example. He had schools of the prophets. One in Gilgal, one in Bethel, one in Jericho. And these schools were places where people could learn how to hear from God and speak. No prophet had ever done that before. And there'd been some serious prophetic people, I mean like Moses and Samuel, and, but nobody had ever had a school. And he was teaching young people how to do what they need to do. God says this, before the great and terrible day of the Lord, I'm going to send the prophet Elijah. He's not talking about reincarnation. He's talking about the spirit of Elijah upon a person or a people who will then begin to do what Elijah did. We see that John the Baptist was part of that. It said of John the Baptist that he would turn the hearts of fathers to children. Prophesied about him regarding that in John chapter 1 here we see that John the Baptist seemed to be that which uh, the prophet Malachi spoke and in Jesus in Luke chapter 11 said you may not be able to hear it but John was Elijah but it doesn't mean that Elijah only comes to one generation that whenever whenever things are bad God is going to send help now we don't know when the great and terrible day of the Lord is There are many great and terrible days of the Lord, meaning there may be a bunch and they may be smaller versions, M-I-N-I and M-A-N-Y, but there is one iconic great and terrible day of the Lord, and that thing is, is as bad as it gets for humanity, and we haven't experienced that. And so I think what Malachi is trying to convey is before that day comes, I'm going to send the prophet Elijah. But it doesn't mean that he's only going to send him once. I think the spirit of Elijah needs to dwell in the earth on a regular basis before that day comes so that the things that might happen in advance of the great and terrible day of the Lord don't. And we have an opportunity to be an Elijah people. A people to carry the same spirit for the second generation. So that God won't do worse before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Now the great and terrible day of the Lord is really bad. You don't want the Lord to do really bad before he does really bad. He says this. I'm going to send the prophet Elijah before you. He'll return the hearts of the fathers to children. And restore the hearts of the children to their fathers. Lest I come. And smite the land with a curse. The word smite is a very nice word for attack. It's not just a little slap on the cheek. God says, if this doesn't happen, where fathers begin to think bigger about who they need to care for and children are restored to those that they're mad at, I'm going to attack the earth with a curse. And you think the great and terrible day of the Lord is, is bad. I don't know how bad. It's going to get really bad. So this message is kind, it's kind of a part two from what Pastor AJ preached last week. Proud of his coming home, having a father heart. Now, for two weeks in a row, it seems, if you're just looking at it at face value, from this stage, that women have been minimized. I know we had Mama's Day. That was May. June is Father's Day. And now I'm perpetuating the idea of what dads need to do. But please listen to this passage in its context. This is not a misogynistic message. It's not that God is leaving women out. He's just pointing out how messed up men are. <laughs> that if men don't get right, he's assuming the women are already doing right. right. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies, you gotta go on. You're not the problem. You are not the problem. The problem is the men who don't care for their kids, right? And the kids got problem with it because they didn't. The men need help. And all you wives understand this to be so. (laughs) You do. Men, let me tell you something you don't want to hear. Your women are 90% of the time mad at you. 90% of the time, they just don't want to start an argument because they realize it's going no place. But 90% of the time, they're just mad at you and they they, they don't know what to do with it. And if they bring it up, if they bring it up, you're going to look at them like, I don't know what you're talking about. And they're going to say, why don't you get it? Why don't you understand? I can't believe you didn't think this way. And, and, And the response for you in those moments, this is it. I'm sorry, I was an idiot. I'm just an idiot. I just don't get it. Don't try to defend yourself. It doesn't work. But not, it, it, this is reality. Whether we feel we are at fault or, or, or not has nothing to do with whether we are charged. That's it. That's it. And there are many parents, many dads in this day that were trying to figure out hey, I'm bringing the money home. I put a roof over their house. What more do you want from me? I'm working it as best I know how. God wants a lot more from you, on, a lot more. He holds you responsible for the entire household. Now, please understand something, man. Being responsible does not necessarily mean you are always in charge. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, 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 uh. Yeah. Delayed applause. God holds me responsible for everything we do. All the congregations we have, he holds me responsible. But I'm not in charge. The people who run this house, they just just ask me to show up and tell me what to do. I set the tone, but I don't control the things that are going on every day. It's one thing to be responsible. It's another thing to show your stripes all the time. And many men are trying to figure out how they can prove they're in charge all the time by subjecting their women to things that God doesn't require. And if they don't submit, then the men feel like they're in rebellion when the problem is you exercise your leadership poorly and nobody wants to submit to that. But they will do it because they love Jesus and they love you. But God thinks less of what you're doing than you do. Why did I get on? I'm not quite sure why I got it. I don't know why I said that. I'm just, I'm just thinking, where did that come from? Uh, okay, okay. I don't apologize. Men need help. And God says... I'm going to send some voices that can help you be the kind of dad you ought to be. Now, I think this applies to parenting, not just fathers. Because single moms out there, you're you're doing a fabulous job. You're amazing. (laughs) For all of my teenage years, I had a mom who cared for me. My dad wasn't around. He was trying to be, but he couldn't be. And I, I have a real heart for single moms. But I also know this. As a kid that was growing up without a dad, when I really needed him to be in my life, I needed dad to be in my life. And dads are important. And so where there are single moms, this is why God says this. I'm restoring the hearts of fathers to children. There is no personal pronoun before the word children. There is one before the word fathers in the next phrase. I'm restoring the hearts of children to their fathers. But there is none in the first phrase. I'm restoring the hearts of fathers to children. Do you know that the one thing among many that remind you uh, that you have a residual presence of God is that your heart has no limits to how much it can love? When you have your first child, All of your affection and attention is given to that little human being. But when you have your second, you don't have to divide your love. You multiply it. You don't take, oh, well, I got two now, so I can't love you as much. So I'm just, I'm going to love you halfway and I'll love the other one with the other half. It doesn't work like that. Your heart enlarges. It's, It's got this capacity to continue to expand infinitely. You do have some some limits with what you can do with that love. You can't be every place at once. You've only got so much strength, so much wisdom, so many words to speak. And so you are metered and measured by your humanity. You can't give everything to everybody all the time. But it has nothing to do with how much your heart can embrace. My wife and I had number one. Then we had two, then three. Then we adopted. We enlarged our heart even beyond our DNA. And that little girl's now almost 30 years old. Just beautiful. Loves, loves us, loves the family. Just, I, I, we're just so happy. She's progressing and life is good. Then we had four, five, six, and seven. And never once was our heart divided. It just kept enlarging. Dads, when, when God says, I need you to have your heart restored, to children, he's not just talking about your DNA. He's talking about the spirit of Elijah. Begin to love people who aren't and don't have your last name. Take your heart and care about those single moms with kids who want somebody to take their child out and help them know what it means to be a good citizen in the world. Responsible, caring for their mother, loving God. Be an example, heart enlargement. We need to be a people if we want to care for our community well and make sure that God doesn't come and bring a curse. We have to be a people that have an Elijah spirit that is taking our father's heart out to those who don't know what it means to be right or do right. God help us. I'm so happy with what Pastor Corey Bendix has done in bringing to us the foster kids of Fairfax. We've got parents in this house who have taken on children that had nobody they didn't have mama they didn't have daddy they had nothing and parents in the house just and we're talking about teenagers so kids have got a history we're not talking about babies kids have got a history that nobody nobody feels they have the capacity to care for and and yet the, the hearts of some of our people are not large big enough to say i'll take them i'll take them we are caring for Afghani families for the past two years. Folks in the house have adopted Afghani families. You remember what happened a couple of years ago where things were all messed up and they had no place to go and they had to come? Folks have adopted Afghani family and they're kids and they're learning Afghan. Oh well, I don't know the language, God forgive me. They're learning to speak the language that Afghani speak. That is stunning. I want us to have that kind of heart for our entire community. This is what it means to win the city. You want to know how to, what do we mean when we say this? Get into every part of need where we find it in our community and fill the gap. Mm. That's the Elijah spirit. He cared for the second generation and began to train them. You need to be what I won't be when I'm not here. And then <laughs> he says this. I'm going to restore the hearts of children to their fathers. No, oh, this, is, this isn't easy, is it? I mean, is there anybody that doesn't have daddy issues? You who have grown up with a human being called a father have been offended by what they've done at some point. Why? Because they are flawed. Now, many of you have dealt with those flaws. And you said, I'm good. I'm good. Lord's healed me. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to my dad regardless. Some of you haven't, and you're still trying to work it through. Some of you are embittered and don't want to work it through and say, Father's Day is the worst holiday of the year for me. Wherever you fit on the spectrum, it's important for you to see how responsible you must be to this edict. And the benefits or consequences that come of your decision making. I've always looked at the Ten Commandments as being really, really important. No ten things that God presented to humanity were more important than those in that time. Have no other gods before me. Make no graven image. Observe the Sabbath. Make sure you 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 um, honor your mother and father. Ooh, 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 what? Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Wait, 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 wait. Honor mom and dad. Top 10 things. Murder, no. Steal, no. Adultery, no. Covetous, no. Uh, uh, Don't take false witness. Wait, 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 wait. That one up there. Honor mom. You, You think of the 10 things that are most important to share with humanity. Honoring is one of them? Mom and dad. Now, why do you think God makes it a command? Because everybody had daddy issues. Your parents will give you reason to not honor them. They will. And by the way, when you become your parents, you will give your children reason for not honoring them. So God said this, I'm going to make it a command because nobody will do it on their own. And I'm going, to put a, I'm going to tie a blessing to it. Honor your parents. Honor mom and dad that it might go well with you. Honoring mom and dad helps you. Now, there's no question. When my kids come and say, dad, you're great, kind of stroke something on the inside of me. I kind of feel good. I say, well, you didn't do all bad. Okay, we're good. But I'm more happy about what it's doing for them. It's going to go well for them. It's going to go well for them in their life, decision making. They're not going to carry all the offenses that I gave gave them opportunity to carry into their parenting. They're not. And so they're they're, they're going to use whatever good I was able to give them. And the experiences that were bad, forgiveness and finding God through it, they're going to use that to help their children be mature. They're going to be better than I was. It's going to go well with them. Parents, you are children, and you need to figure out how in the world to get back to your parents and be what what you want them to be. Be to them what you want them to be. Parent them if they can't themselves. Be restored to them and not be embittered. When you do this, it fixes the family. And God wanted this to be, this fifth command, to be the commandment that kind of hinged upon which every other societal commandment hinged. Why? Because if the family isn't right, society will not be right. And all we do is perpetuate dysfunction from one generation to another. I'm going to close with this. My dad and I had a really good relationship from me to him I wanted to, all I wanted to be every day was him every day of my life I just wanted to be my daddy I thought if I could just be that I'd be okay he was a dentist, he was a recording artist he was a baseball player my dad lived about four lives in one and I'm, 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 I'm not talking about baseball player just played he was going to be selected by the Phillies in 1947 he was that good Problem was, the Air Force came and drafted him, so he couldn't. But he was just amazed. I said, God, he's a one. He's one of them. I want to be him. I want to be him. And so I looked up to him every day of my life. Now, he didn't know what it meant to raise a child. He had no idea. And he didn't know what it meant to be a good dad. I mean, be a good husband. No clue. So my my household was a wreck growing up. A wreck. You didn't want to be in my household growing up. On the surface, we looked really nice. On the inside, a wreck and I was the eldest and I had to make sure that I kept peace in my house as a 10 year old it was it wasn't easy and I had a lot for which I could blame my dad a lot my parents divorced in 1973 and he walked out of the house messed up my family And I rebelled against my mom because I thought my mom was at fault. That I loved my dad so much and I wanted him around and I couldn't figure out how in the world they couldn't make this work. And why in the world would you kick daddy out? And I had all these things. I was 13. I couldn't figure it out. It was daddy's fault, but I blamed mama. Because I wanted daddy. And so I rebelled. I was just a mess from 13 to 18. And then I got right at 21. And my dad wanted me to be a dentist, and I was going to be a dentist. He was a dentist. I was going to take over his practice. I was accepted to Harry Medical School in Nashville, Tennessee. In 1985, I would have graduated and had $120,000 in terms of salary. No overhead because he had everything already paid for it. I'd just pay his retirement. It was a good deal except God called me. God called me, and so I had a decision to make. <clears throat> Do I leave this money on the table? And go and ask people for money. (laughs) (sighs) Uh, And I knew what God called me to do. Daddy was hot. I mean, you cannot imagine how mad he was that his son was not going to follow in his footsteps. Not only because I was throwing away a career, but what was he going to tell all of his friends who were my uncles? What's Brett doing? I don't know. What, 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 what do you mean we don't know? Well, he's, he's talking to people. What do you mean talking to people? He's trying to be a minister or something. Oh, he's going to seminary? No. Where is he? Washington, D.C. Why? Howard University. Oh, they hired him? No. I mean, it was just a hard conversation all the way around. And so he didn't, he didn't disown me. But it was close. It's close. My brother had the misfortune of coming back from college his, his freshman year with a grade point average below one. I don't know how you do that. <laughs> he, took, he took us both to lunch. And I knew he was going to be mad at him. I knew it. He was on one side sitting next to that. I was on the other side of the table. He looked at my brother and said, see him? Pointing me. Don't you ever come back like him. I said I had a 3.5. I had a 3.5. He wasn't happy with Brett. So I had a couple of reasons not to be happy with daddy. Destroyed my life. And now I'm trying to do something good for humanity. And he doesn't like it. And he's now dissing me to everybody. His father was sick. Would die of pancreatic cancer. My grandfather I went down to Tuskegee, Alabama to spend the last two weeks of his life with him. Told me his whole life story. Led him to the Lord on his deathbed. It was beautiful. But as he was talking to me, oh, the lights came on. And I said, I get it. I know now why my dad is the way he is. Because his dad was the way he was. My dad couldn't give me what I needed because his dad didn't give it to him. My dad couldn't give me what he needed because he didn't have it. All of a sudden, compassion welled up in my soul for my father. So much so that I made an album for him. Because I knew I couldn't talk to him. We didn't talk for four years. Except how the Kansas City Chiefs do it. I mean, it was no conversation at all. No talking. Not even a call on my birthday. Made an album for him, dedicated it to him. Talked about our relationship. I can sing a little bit, just a little. He got sick. He had to come live with me from Kansas City. We brought him here in 1989. He died in 1992. He had lung cancer. But that was during the time when I became senior pastor of the church. And of those 53 that I talk about on a regular basis, he was one. He sat on the front row every week. Would critique my sermons and how I said what I said. He had had no theological acumen at all. (laughs) But I listened every time. Got to baptize him in my tub in my house. We were watching a football game one day. And uh, <clears throat> out of the blue, he just said, well, guess everything turned out okay, didn't it? <laughs> now, I thought, my daddy used to bet on games. And I thought he still was. And so I was watching the game. I said, "What? did a parlay just happen? Did did, did somebody catch a ball that needed to catch a ball to make it four in a row, and then all of a sudden you won something, it worked out okay? And I looked at him, and his eyes were square in mine. And I said, "Uh, yeah, Dad, I guess it worked out okay. That meant, I'm sorry. I love you. I'm really proud of you. I wish I could say it, but all I can say is I guess it worked out okay. He didn't he didn't give it because he didn't have it. Kids, be merciful to your parents. This is the only way you can be restored if you got offense. You can't wait for them to come back and say, baby girl, I'm sorry. I was an idiot. I didn't know what I was doing. That's not gonna happen. Humility is born by God. It's wrought by the Holy Spirit in your soul. If he doesn't have the Holy Spirit, and he needs a lot of character after he gets the Holy Spirit to be able to do that because he's got to acknowledge all of his wrongdoing for like 30 years. Say he was a failure in his own mind. It's probably not going to happen. So you have to be the parent. God said, when I get parents, dads, who can have a bigger heart than just for their own, and when I can get kids who will honor mom and dad, and be restored to them even when they're in pain? He said, that'll be the stop to all the bad stuff I would do in addition to the great and terrible day of the Lord. May God make us a people who help reconcile like that. Not just folks to God, but people to one another. Kids to parents, dads to the community of the second generation that desperately needs to know who they are and what they need to do. Let's pray. God, I love you. Thank you for your goodness and grace. Please empower us to be the kind of people we ought to be.